0: You please to pray with me, <clears throat> Father. As we come now uh, to your Word, we're grateful for it. It sustains us in every circumstance and in every situation. It reveals to us, God, that um, we desperately need you. That um, left to our own devices is death, but in you there's life. So I pray that you would uh, lay this out before us this morning in such a way that we would hear it and believe it, and through it we would receive grace by your word and even at your table this morning. Um, This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, please. I want to begin in verse 30 and read through chapter 12 and verse 10. Second Corinthians, please. <clears throat> I've been told I'm not allowed to say 2 Corinthians. I've heard that's a political faux pas. I didn't know that all these years. Who knew? But uh don't know how I feel about certain politicians quoting me, but uh, but I assure you that I'm not necessarily aligned with any of them. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians and chapter 11, please, verse 30, this is the word of the Lord. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who blessed ...is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King um, Eratos was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me... ...but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I'll know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven... But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power... Is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. The question, really, of this passage is this What makes for a true apostle? Now, I don't imagine that when you woke up this morning, that was the question on your mind. Perhaps not even as you came here this morning. But it's, it's really the question of, of the text, the passage which we're, we're considering. What really does make for a true apostle? That's what Paul's been getting at the last so many passages that we've been thinking about. Now, it was an important question for the church in Corinth because they had rather rejected Paul as an apostle or were on their way to do that and accepting others that Paul called apostles I'm sorry imposters or false apostles and you can see that that would be devastating not because they were rejecting Paul he didn't worry about that but 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 that he that they would be rejecting the gospel that he brought to them, or the Jesus, if you will, that he presented to them. That was the issue. So he had to to deal with his bigger question of really what makes for a true apostle. It's important for us because we need to, to have confidence that what Paul wrote, which is a sizable amount of the New Testament, was, as he put it even, God breathed. That it didn't come from him, his will, if you will. But, as the Apostle Peter put it, he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. So so we, we want to know that. How can we trust that these, these letters that Paul wrote were God-breathed? Not originating in his own will, but he wrote as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so it's important... For us to think about that, and thus it's an important question for us, but but there's a number of other Things we learn, and that's that's the way the Bible is. You know, the the Bible sort of set up as we're reading along in some of its history a narrative of a people of Israel, for instance, or even a narrative of the church in the Book of Acts, or or, or we find poems, or we find uh, prophetic words that come to a, a people, uh, or we find gospel, we find the announcement of news that something had happened through Jesus, and and so forth and so on. As so we're reading along, we're we're reading in the in the midst of Got at work in people's lives, and, and that's how we learn. And so here the big question, the overriding question, the contextual question is what makes a true apostle in these passages that we've been reading, but, 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 but we incidentally learn a number of things as we're coming along here, like, like what about supernatural out of body or not experiences? Well, what about them? This experience that, that Paul lays out of this Man, he knows in Christ who was caught up, if you will, into the third heaven. What, what about experiences like that? Are experiences like that normative for us? Experiences like that, uh, the kinds of experiences that, that apostles should have. Uh, need to have if they don't have they're not apostles or church leaders should we expect church leaders to have those and if they have those should they tell about them should they talk about those Uh, what about experiences like that that really should we be impressed with them what if you haven't had such an experience what does that mean for you Um, and how do we understand how God works I mean uh, we can't help but miss the fact that we get a sense that that Paul's been given something, and the language there, we'll talk about it in a minute, but the language there, Paul uses the language given, is the same kind of language that he always uses when he talks about something that's been given by God. And, and yet, this thing that's been given by God to him is an angel from Satan, a messenger from Satan to harass him. How do we understand that? How, how can Paul sort of simultaneously attribute something to both God and Satan? What how, how does what's that really mean about the workings of God, if you will? And what about these thorns, this thorn that Paul received in his body and the flesh? Uh, what about it? Do, do we have them? Did, did, was this unique to him? And what was his purpose, this thorn? What did it do in the context of of his own life? And, and how is God's power perfected, if you will, or realized or brought to fruition, made complete in our weakness, so that then we should boast in our weakness and not in our strength. So you see how just this one sort of topic of how it is that we're asking, well, what makes a true apostle should we we'll be looking for? And is he one? This man, Paul. And, but then all of these other things fall out uh, from. That so 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 what really does make a, a a true apostle? Paul's been trying to lay that out, and and he and he's going to talk about his boasting, and we 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 know by now he's being a little sarcastic when he says boasting, and sort of in air quotes, it's kind of, you know, boasting, because Paul will boast of things which are repugnant to those who are against him he he boasts in his sufferings if you will and 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 while they may be impressive to us they were repugnant to 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 the imposters because they would think that no real apostle of jesus should should live like that should suffer like that that they that, that 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 their standards were someone who was eloquent and who looked good and who was impressive and who could demand large fees and and someone who did have big spiritual experiences, none of which they ever heard from Paul. And 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 so Paul says, "Well, I'll boast. Let me tell you about my suffering. Let me tell you how I've been persecuted and stoned and left for dead, and and how I've been hungry and how I've been sleepless and how I've been homeless, and all of that, all for the sake of Christ." And and uh, and, and so so Paul lays that out so much. so that he starts this passage with something that's recorded in the book of Acts about Paul having to escape. Uh, from Damascus and escaped down the wall in a basket. Where, where I, I've always been impressed with that. But Paul says, "Don't be, don't be." I, 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 I wanted to go into Damascus triumphant, and I left being left in an old, smelly fish basket down the down the wall, uh, running running for my life. See uh, the, the the super apostles. Uh, would have stood there and held their ground and not me I, I'd be happy to be out of a basket and live for another day don't be impressed he says then I'm going to go on boasting and, and to do that he has to tell of an incident that he doesn't really want to tell and, and, and he tells it in a kind of funny kind of way he, he says I know a man in Christ who I mean we, you know you know, when, when you hear somebody come to you and they say, I have a friend, you know, who, you thinking, just tell me, right? But, but that's the language he uses. And the reason is because he doesn't really want to focus upon it. That's not his point. He's going to use I language in a minute when he talks about his weakness. But, but, but right now, he doesn't want this incident, this story, this, this experience that he had. He doesn't want that to be the focal point. He doesn't want that to be what you remembered. He has to share about it in order to get to his point. And so he kind of veils it in this, in this language. Clearly, it's Paul. He knows all about it. He gets a thorn in the flesh because of it. Uh, and he says if he did boast of it, he wouldn't be lying. But, but, but he, he doesn't actually come out and say, it's his eye. In fact, he's been holding on to this experience for 14 years. He hasn't told anybody about it. And it's an experience that would rival anybody's spiritual experiences, including Moses and Elijah and Isaiah and Ezekiel. I mean, he's ushered into the third heaven. Don't get hung up there. Into paradise, don't get hung up there. He's ushered into the very presence of God. That's his point. And he says, but but I, I, I can't tell about it. Why not? Well, on the one hand, who would he tell? I mean, what language would he use after an experience like that? But he was forbidden to tell about it in one sense for fear that people would be too impressed with him. Notice how he puts it in, 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 in verse 6. though, if I should wish to boast, I wouldn't be a fool. I'd be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or, or hears from me. Paul said, I, I don't want you to be distracted by this. I don't want you to be impressed by this. I could come in and I could tell you this story and I could mesmerize you with it. And you'd go, wow, Paul must be really special. He must be a great man. We should listen to him. He, he really must be an apostle. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not the test. That isn't it. I don't, I, I don't want you to be distracted by my life and my story and believe me just because I've had this kind of experience. I don't want that at all. Paul says always, I, all I want you, you to, to know about is Jesus. I don't want you to know about, about me. I had a professor in seminary, his name was Roger Nicole, he passed away recently, but the last couple of years. And, uh, uh, uh he, he was always introduced by people, other theologians, as the greatest living theologian. I mean great theologians would introduce him that way, but hardly anybody knew about him. He, he wrote a little, he had a classic art article um, back in the fifties uh, that dealt with propitiation uh and, uh and uh and 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 a couple of other things but um, he wrote a lot of introductions to other people's works. And we would we'd always say, Why don't you write more? And he said, Because then you'd read me and not them. <laughs> and that was, now that doesn't mean people shouldn't write books. But, but his point was uh, really read. He would say, He would say it, it was from Switzerland, had a French accent with which he spoke English. He said he spoke French with an English accent eventually. But uh, he, he said, Oh, dear brother, if you would read me, it means you're not reading Calvin. <laughs> And they would say, I read you so I can understand Calvin. But, uh, but Paul's like that. In, in a sense, if you're if you caught up in my experience, even more so, you, you may not be thinking about Jesus. You remember how, how Paul put it in his first letter, dare I say, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and chapter 1, um, verse 17. Uh, Paul says, for uh, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I didn't come to, to trick you. I didn't come to, be, be, to out-clever you. I didn't come to out-maneuver you with language. I didn't come out, come here to out-argue you with, with words that, that would just sort of put you behind the eight ball and, and you couldn't argue back. That isn't it. I, I just came to, to, to share with you the truth of the cross of Christ and, 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 and the power. Power that was manifested and, and comes through this word of the gospel. That's what did it. So in chapter two of First Corinthians, you know this uh, verse one. He says, "And I came to you, brothers, and when I came to you, brothers, uh, I, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing about you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling." And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, persuasive we would say, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That is to say, at the end of the day, you wouldn't say, Paul convinced me. I mean, after all, he, he went into the presence of God and came back and told me what he saw. I mean, who can argue with that? No, 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 no. I want to tell you about Jesus and the cross. And I want that, by the power of the Spirit, to convince you. Right? And so at the end of the day, again, people would attribute their salvation, not to Paul, but to Jesus and the work of the Spirit. And that's what he was, he was after. So he said, that's why I've never told anybody this story. That's why, I, I, Because I don't want you to, to, to rest there and be impressed with that and camp out there and think, okay, I have to listen to public because of that. It, 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 all I want you to, to think about me is what you see and what you hear. Did I come and have I manipulated you? Have I tried to impress you with me? Have I I tried to trick you with my cleverness? Have I taken advantage of you? Have I even taken your money? No. None of that. I just come. And what did you hear from me? Did you hear from me about me? No. You don't really know that much about me, do you? Because that's not my reason for coming. I came to you with this word of the cross of Jesus. That's what you've heard from me. That's what makes... A true messenger of God. One who comes and serves you. And loves you. And seeks your well-being. Not their own. And who brings to you the word of Christ. And fades away. To be remembered no more. That's it. So that's what makes. A true apostle. I can't tell you what I just thought because I won't be able to get it out this morning. Okay. Now, I don't know where I am. So Paul then tells uh, something else about himself. But it's not flattering at all. He says, here's what's happened. I've been given a thorn in the flesh. I've been given, if you'll accept my explanation, that the language they're given is Paul's language always of what God does. I've been given this thorn in the flesh from God. But this thorn in the flesh comes by means of an angel or a a fallen angel, a messenger of Satan to to, to buffet me or to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. What an admission. I mean, wouldn't you think that this apostle... Who's really our model for Christian living. I mean, you know, when we think about models that we have for Christian living, Paul's really up there, isn't he? I mean, he, we want to you know, live as he lived. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, as I follow Christ, follow me, that kind of thing. We go, yeah, of course that's true. And, and, and he's, he's sort of the epitome of the, of the, of the follower of Jesus, if you will, the Christian man. And yet he says that I was given this experience to be in the very presence of God, and rather than, than perfect me, that being in the presence of God, the danger was me to be, for me to be conceited, for me to be prideful, for me to come back and say, I'm really awesome. I've just been in the presence of God. What do you think about that? And to, to speak of that in a way that would puff himself up, to speak of that, to think... Uh, of himself as all that, if you will, and he said, "No." So, so to keep me from being conceited, I was given this thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what that was. There's all kinds of lists of things that people give, and you go back in the scripture, you can see various. There are various things such a thing it could be. It could be physical. It could be a disease. Paul uh, has been, we read to the church in Galatia that he had some eye thing going on. Some have even speculated that this eye problem uh, originated when he was in the presence of God. I mean, it's kind of like hurt his vision, hurt his eyes. We don't have any reason to think that. But, 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 but afterwards he was given this, he had this eye problem perhaps. So gross that he said to the, Church in Galatia, probably somewhat figuratively and somewhat not. You were willing to pluck out your own eyes for me. And and, uh, give me your eyes if you could. Uh, So it could be physical. It could be some other ailment. It could have been all these people who came against him. The the enemies that came against him. Always harassing him everywhere he went. We probably get some sense of it from verse 10. He says, for the sake of Christ that I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, uh, uh, persecution and calamities when i'm weak i'm strong because whatever else this thorn in the flesh was it caused him to feel if you will to be uh to be weak um to to experience weakness uh where he was afraid that he had no strength to continue on and so he talks about weaknesses insults that came from others right to cause him to feel Weak in himself to think, how can I go on in this kind of environment with these kinds of insults? How can I how can I live with this? And remember, when he's taking these insults, he knows, because he knows the word of Jesus and he knows the scripture, the word of God. He, he knows that he's to experience these insults without retaliating, without bitterness. That's the problem, isn't it? Uh, without even defending himself. And the way that we defend ourselves from insults. Hardships, all kinds of difficulties that came, could come into his life to make him feel, if you will, weak. In fact, he had various hardships and difficulties all combined. We remember in Second Corinthians in chapter 1, verse 80 he writes this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I mean, those kinds of hardships we've experienced. You've experienced hardships, and you wonder how will I ever get through this, right? The older we get, sometimes we look back at those experience of hardships when we were younger, and we smile, right? We go, "Oh, I thought that was hard." <laughs> Glad nobody told me what it was like to be whatever age I am now, you know, and experience what I'm experiencing now. Because this is really hard. There's hardships sort of follow us along in life, right? And and, and he says, hardships, these things which cause us, make us to be and to feel weak, wondering if we're going to be able to persevere. Persecutions, clearly we understand. Calamities, things and tragedies, things that happen in life. How am I going to make it now that X, Y, or Z has happened, right? How am I going to make it now? I've lost this or that, or this one or that one. How am I going to live through this? How am I going to maintain? How am I going to maintain faith? How am I going to live uh, through this? How am I going to have the strength? See, the, the the thorn came that caused Paul not only to be weak, but to recognize his own weakness, his own dependence upon God. In one sense, we shouldn't need, in a perfect world, these these thorns. To cause us to feel weak, we should simply know that we are. See, these thorns cause it, but they also reveal to us that we are creatures, that we are weak, that we do need God to be dependent upon Him. To live independent from Him is the kiss of death. It really is death. But we're to live dependent upon Him. We should, in one sense, always be despairing of life. (laughs) So that we would be always turning to God, that He would give us His strength. So, Paul says if you want to know who I am, that's who I am. I'm weak. And we have to ask the question, just because it's here, we have to ask the question, what is this about this juxtaposition between God and Satan? How can they both be taking a, 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 a role in one incident? God gives, but yet Satan is a messenger, that his angel is a messenger that brings this thorn that causes weakness in, in, in Paul. Now, on the one hand, we, we know from the Scripture That God uses Satan to bring difficulties into people's lives. You know the story of Job, obviously. But also in the life of Jesus. I mean, we we read, for instance, that in Isaiah chapter 53, that it pleased God to crush him. Or it was the Lord's will to crush him. You could translate that either way. Um, Isaiah 53, 10. So, so, if you want to know who's ultimately responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus, it was the Father. He sent him to die. Now you could say it was the Romans or the Jews or even our sin. And there would be truth in all of that. But ultimately, it was the Lord's will to crush him. But he used means. He used means of, 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 wicked, of wicked men. For instance, in Acts In chapter 2, as Peter's preaching, verse 23, uh, Peter says, This Jesus delivered up according to the divine plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And, And so God used lawless men. They were doing exactly what they wanted to do. Now, who do you think, in a very direct way with them, was behind their lawlessness? It was the evil one. But whose plan was it? (laughs) It was God's plan. And so God is God even over Satan. The reformers had a paradoxical and a bit of an alarming but true nonetheless expression when they said, the devil is God's devil. He, God, is sovereign over all the works of the evil one. Maybe create some dissonance in your own head, but you know it's true. You know that Satan isn't sovereign over God. And you know that God uses him. And that ultimately, everything that Satan does Is for the glory of God. In the life of an unbeliever, to condemn. In the life of a believer, to strengthen. Ultimately. Why? Because in this incident, as this thorn comes into Paul's life, what happens? He despairs of life. He realizes, I can't. I'm weak. I need strength. I need help. And, and where does a believer go when a believer feels weak? Well, huh? Ultimately, to God. Now, let's face it. Most of us go to our own reserves first. We think, I can figure this out. We think, I've got what's necessary in order to, to, to see my way clear here. And, 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 and we try all of that. And ultimately... We reach the end of it. And where do we find ourselves? Despairing of anything in ourselves. To strengthen, to maintain. And where do we go? We go to God. Now, Paul prayed. Paul prayed three times. We don't know if that was three literal times or if that just meant he prayed a lot. He prayed continuously for a while. It doesn't really matter if it's three discrete times or, or a number of times just with the expression of three to say he did it often and did god answer paul's prayer and the answer of course is yes and no what paul wanted was relief from the thorn that was a normal thing to want. i mean paul's not a masochist he doesn't like suffering he doesn't like pain any more than you and i do now he was a man who seems to have a pretty high threshold of pain right he was stoned and he was left for dead and he was hungry and he spent sleepless nights and he was in prison chains and all that kind of things. We don't get any complaining about Paul, nor even necessarily unless that's the thorn that Paul prayed that it would be taken away. But, but, but whatever this thorn was, it had to have been substantial and really aggravating in his, in his life and, and really causing him to despair. And so he prayed that God would take it away. And you say, well, wasn't that, since God wasn't going to literally take it away, wasn't that wrong of Paul to pray about that? And, of course, the answer is no. How would he know? He didn't know. It was something that was difficult. And so he prayed, as you and I would pray and do pray, that God would take it away. The question is, what happens if it doesn't go away? If it does, we give God thanks and we're grateful. And but he didn't response that Paul received, however he received it, is my grace is sufficient for you because your pow- my power is perfected or made complete. What's the language in this one? Made perfect or made complete, or we can even say realized, in your weakness. Because when you're weak, you're strong. How is that? Because when we're weak, and especially when we know it, And we go to God and ask him for strength. He gives it. Because we're depending, you see, upon him. You know the passage. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What's the difference between the proud and the humble? The proud says, I can do it. The humble simply says, I can't. And it's upon the I can't that we depend upon God and his strength comes and enables. The thorn was always there. Present tense throughout. God said, no, I'm not going to take it away. It's there. It became for Paul, this thorn in the flesh, a vehicle upon which the grace of God rode into his life. Because it was a constant reminder that he needed, Paul did, God. If I could put it like this, there's a pastoral genius at work in Paul by the Holy Spirit that caused him not to tell us exactly what it was. Because if he did, I would probably say, well, I don't have that. <laughs> it doesn't apply to me. <laughs> but I have thorns. And We can debate all day long about what it means that Satan is the messenger of that or God is the giver of that. But I know as a believer that the purpose of God for the weaknesses, the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the calamities in my own life are from him ultimately to produce in me grace, strength, to experience insults without striking back, hardships without becoming bitter, persecutions by not cursing those who Harm me calamities by not losing faith. And he says, you'll receive strength. So every time we come up against something, which should be every time we come up against anything, right? Our our response should be, God, please help me. I can't. Give me grace. Sufficient strength, sufficient to serve you at this moment, to maintain faith, to speak the truth, to not be bitter, to not be angry, to be joyful, to be loving in this circumstance, even against someone who may despise me, to bless those who curse. I'm standing before someone with with a heart that's completely turned against you, God. And yet here I am, fairly, uh, you know, uh, uh, not very eloquent, not very clever, not all that smart. And, and, And here I am in this impossible situation. Help me. Give grace, give power in this word so that this one who hears it will believe. Completely helpless in that circumstance. So Paul said, "Here's the the test of a true apostle is one who boasts in their weakness, in their icantness, and receives grace that's sufficient. In fact, that's." That's our life. Our life right there. My life right there. Your life right there. Is this deep sense of humility, we would call it this I can'tness, this realizing that I'm utterly dependent upon God for all things. Most especially on these things and serving Him. Because He will make sure, by way of weaknesses, hardships, insults, persecutions, calamities, in my life and yours, that will cause me always to be desperate for him. That feeling of being desperate for him never leaves us, shouldn't ever leave us shouldn't be far into the surface of our consciousness. That we live trusting in Him. You know that when these hardships come into your life, you could be way closer to God, interestingly, than you are when times are really good. You remember when Moses was talking to the people in Deuteronomy chapter eight about going into the promised land, what was the danger? The danger was when you become prosperous, God said, you'll forget me because you'll think that it was your wisdom and your power that brought all of this about. And You go, well, how can that be? And Paul said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was in the very presence of God and, and the great danger for me was I'd become conceited <laughs> rather than humble me. And so, God says, thorns will come to remind you. Now, the day will come in glory when we will need thorns to remind us. Our hearts will be pure. But thorns will come. So when they come, go ahead and pray. God, take this away. And he will some. And others he won't. and so as they persist know that riding upon them is his grace because you'll say i can't and he'll say but i can we we see that here you're looking at the life of this one Jesus of Nazareth, when was he weakest? does not it when he was hanging there? Completely exposed. Everything taken from him. He had absolutely no respect from anyone. He had no clothes. His body was bursting forth, bleeding. He was in agony, no friends, no property, no possessions. His father forsook him. (laughs) What happened? The power of God was manifested and sinners were saved. (laughs) Everything changed at that moment. God's power was perfected in the weakness of his son. So in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And there's a sense in which he said, I'm about to be weaker than any man has ever been. I'm giving it for you. In the same way, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, this too, he gave to his disciples and he said, this cup Is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, This do in remembrance of me, the apostle adds. As often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're proclaiming a lot in that. But we're proclaiming that in the weakness of Jesus. The power of God was manifested. In such a way that the sins of sinners were forgiven and sinners were reconciled to God. The greatest power of God manifested at the moment of Jesus' weakness. That's true for us too. At our deepest weakness, as God alerts us, when we depend upon him, his power is realized. Hmm. Let's pray. Father, for me, for us, I pray that you would grant grace. That we would think about all oh, the difficulties of life, the weaknesses that are ours many of them for which we've prayed maybe our whole lives for you to take away. And yet here they are still. I pray that you would cause us to see those weaknesses as vehicles for your grace and power to come into our lives that these weaknesses tether us to you Cause us to turn to you often. Cause us to be reminded that we need you, that we're not independent, that we can't. And so, Father, I pray that these hardships would not create in us bitterness, but rather would build in us deep faith in you. And so now as we come to this table, I pray, God, that you would set apart this bread and this juice to enable us to know we're in the presence of Jesus and, and in the presence of Jesus to realize that in his weakness, your power was perfected. And there were evidence of that. And that therefore we can walk with you in the power of your spirit. And this I pray.